up in a hostel. This is kind of what a hostel is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, you might have to explain it to someone, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, when you say that, the most common response is, is that Eli Roth movie. They're like, oh, hostel. It's like, thanks, Eli Roth. And he didn't do any people favors with that movie he put out about like cutting off people's toes or whatever. This is the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 255. Since its founding, Austin's population has doubled every 20 years, and it's currently the fastest growing city in the United States. But it's still the largest city in the country without a professional sports team. Over the past six or seven years, our travel style has changed dramatically. We used to only stay in hostels, and that was because that was the only thing we could afford. Now, of course, we travel in a variety of ways, hostels and hotels and Airbnb and all types of stuff. But to this day, my favorite experience is when I find a really, really good hostel. I just love a good hostel when there's a great social atmosphere, when they've done really unique stuff with the building, when it's just a really cool vibe. So I still love when I find amazing, amazing hostels. And today you're going to hear about the number one rated hostel in America. But no matter where I'm staying, whether that's hostels, whether that's Airbnbs, whether that's hotels, it doesn't matter. I'm always taking my Tortuga backpack with me no matter where I am. So if you want to find the best travel backpack out there, you have to go check out their brand new Outbreaker pack at TortugaBackpacks.com. And if you use the promo code EPOP, that's E-P-O-P, all capital letters, that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has stayed in over 150 hostels across 30 countries, who's worked with authors like Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss, and who became an Amazon bestseller with just $3 and five minutes, Brent Underwood, founder of the HK Austin Hostel and author, author air quotes, right, of Putting My Foot Down. Brent, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Amazing. Thank you for having me. And Brent, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff today. We're going to be talking about everything included with founding and running a hostel, you know, why you think hostels are the next big thing in the US, how HK Austin is, you know, leading that charge and of course, uh your book Putting My Foot Down, which became an Amazon bestseller, uh with just $3 and 5 minutes of time. But first, most importantly, as an Austin local now, I got to know what's your favorite taco joint? Ooh, that's a that's a hotly debated issue here in Austin. So, um I'm going to go with with two, if that's appropriate. I know that that sounds like it's cheating, but I have a favorite breakfast taco joint and a favorite regular taco, taco joint. Um, breakfast would be Veracruz Tacos. It's actually located across the street from the hostel, so you know I have a little bit of uh, bias there. They have, a, they have a breakfast taco called the Migas Taco that uh, Food Network called it the fourth best taco in America, and I, I, I would have to agree. It's very, very good. So if you're if you're in Austin and in the morning you're looking for something, I would go to Veracruz Tacos, uh, get the Migas. Anytime after that, there's a place called Pueblo Viejo, which is also on Cesar Chavez, kind of by 
by H.K. Austin, and uh, their namesake taco, the Pueblo Viejo, is amazing. So that, that th- 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 those are my votes. Those get my votes at least. Awesome. And you can't go wrong. I've been to uh, Veracruz. I didn't have the Migas. I had, you know, I probably like four of them, but it was during lunchtime. That was a great place. Super fresh. Loved it. There's one, I don't know if you've been, like, a little further down Cesar Chavez, right at Cesar Chavez and North Pleasant Road that I think is my favorite. Now, I've only been to, like, 10 taco joints in Austin, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I love Tacos Guerrero, the little lady there on the corner. Oh, yeah. She has, like, a little orange truck behind that, like, loan place yes. or whatever. Yes. Have you been? Yeah. I have. Yeah, that's a that's also fantastic. I found that ours at all food trucks are a little bit unreliable, but hers particularly, I I've missed her like three times. And so I kind of, uh, I haven't been back in a little bit, but no, that's an ama- another amazing taco joint. You're, you're totally correct. I originally found her like through Yelp, right? I was like, all right, I'm going to go to all the 10 best ones. People give me recommendations. You know, everyone has recommendation, which is great. And it said she was open till 9 PM. So I remember biking from downtown out there and like, there's no way she's open till 9 PM. Well, I didn't know it was a, a lady in a food truck. I didn't know what it was. Right. And I get there and it's this orange food truck in this deserted lot. I'm like, well, this isn't happening. So I went back the next day. She was there. Took her about 45 minutes to make me and my wife two tacos, but, um, they were fantastic. So if you have a couple hours, go to Tacos Carrera too. If not, check out all the other ones on that strip. There's a ton. Sure. So. She doesn't. She doesn't rush anything, you know. I, I noticed that as well, and it's just her back there. But uh, they are they are amazing tacos. Yeah. So can't wait to get down. Check out HK Austin, which we're going to talk about. Also, uh, check out some of those tacos. And and for you, obviously, travel huge part of your life. You know, you you own a hostel. You stayed in them all over the world. So take us back to the beginning a little bit. Was there some seminal moment where this travel bug just hit you, like an aha moment, or is it something you grew up with? There was definitely kind of the aha moment, you know, I think, um, growing up, I traveled a little bit, you know, to Canada, Mexico, that type of things on family trips. But when I was a sophomore in college, I studied abroad in Panama. Um, my girlfriend at the time was studying abroad down there. And so I think, uh, to a certain extent I have to travel, I have to credit her with the travel bug. Um, and so we, we went down to Panama, I studied there for four months and it really just opened my eyes to, you know, international travel, particularly, uh, Central and South America. I fell in love with the culture, you know, like bouncing around. That was my first time staying in a hostel. We went to uh, Costa Rica for a day. And uh, I think that was the moment where ever since, you know, going back to, to school, I started planning my next trip, as many do, you know, putting a, a spreadsheet together of how, which which countries I'm going to go to, how much I'm going to spend in each country, what I need to do to save up enough money to go to the next country. And uh, so that that was kind of the start of it, which led to you know, a couple other trips abroad before I graduated. Um, I graduated and immediately decided to travel again. I, I thought I was going to move back down to Panama, actually. So a friend and I moved, uh, tentatively moved down there with the anticipation of getting a job, but um, weren't re- quite ready to settle down yet. And so we, we traveled uh, to Colombia and then, you know, up through Central America, just kind of taking local buses from some city to city. And I think that's really when the hostel idea was the seed percolating right yeah okay exactly so you know i'm staying in a bunch of hostels i'm seeing them they're all fantastic i just like fell in love with the atmosphere at hostels because you know as you know like sitting around in the evening like exploring all these different cultures with these different people having exciting times it was just something that whenever i went back home i missed a lot and at the time it wasn't like i should start a hostel of my own it was more just you know i i really enjoy the atmosphere here um i have to travel more to get this atmosphere you know i'm gonna have to start 
jumping on planes and kind of traveling around and this and that. Um, and then I decided to go to grad school, which I think many people do. I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life yet. Uh, so I thought that grad school was a good idea, which that's actually the worst reason to go to grad school. I think I went cause I didn't know what I wanted to do instead of what I did want, did know what I wanted to do. If that's how you want to, when put you it. don't know what to do, just keep going for more education, right? Yeah, Just, just keep burying <laughs> yourself deeper in debt. That's the way to do it. Um, and so, so I did that. Uh, and after that, I thought I had to get a traditional job. So I started working for an investment bank in New York. Um, didn't even last a month. I, I was like, this is ridiculous. I, I'm not going to do this. Um, and so again, went back to the default that I think a lot of people do. Something that I knew would make me happy. I started traveling again. So I took another backpacking trip through Southeast Asia. And this time, you know, since I was knowing that I was going to have to do something when I went back a little bit, or I mean, I couldn't just travel, I guess, forever. Well, a lot of people can travel forever, as seen by, you know, yourself and the Nomadic Matt, my business partner, and all these people. But for me, I was going back and I was like, well, what am I going to do when I get back? And so staying at all the different hostels, I thought, well, you know, I think a, a thought that a lot of travelers have had, you know, it would be very cool to start one of these myself. Um, and so I returned to, to New York where I was living at the time, started exploring around the option of starting a hostel there, um, which led to creating a hostel there that, that operated pretty well for just over two years. You know, we hosted a few thousand guests. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, it wasn't quite the hostel that I always wanted to open. It was kind of a smaller one and it wasn't run as, as well as it could have been, which, when it was time to leave New York, I kind of had, had grown out of the city a little bit. Um, I moved to Austin and came down here, not necessarily with the intention of opening a hostel, um, but definitely the thought was still in my mind. And so when I, when I arrived, I was looking around passively at places to, to, to open up a hostel. And I remember I was, at a, I was getting a drink at a place called Weather Up here in Austin. It's on Cesar Chavez. It's like a, a very nice cocktail bar. And across the street, I saw this beautiful mansion. I was like, wow, that's a fantastic place. You know, that would be uh, an amazing spot for a hostel. And at the time, it wasn't available. You know, there's no, nothing, no signs or nothing along those lines. Um, and then I was driving by about a week later, and there's a sign in the yard. And that I think, like, both, you know, like, uh, literally and uh, metaphorically, that was all that I needed. That was it, right? Like- that was it. That was it. So that got the ball in motion. And, uh, here we are, man, that was about two and a half years later, and HK Austin is up, running, um, and we're actually looking to open up our uh, next hostel here in San Antonio um, within the next month or two, if everything goes according to plan. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been fun, and uh, as you mentioned, so travel is a very big part of my life. Uh, every single day, I'm interacting with you know, dozens of travelers from all over the world, and still planning those own my own little escapes. Um, Owning a hostel is, is nice because it's a way of traveling without going anywhere. You know, you can sit around the couch at night and interact with all the people from all the world and have that, you know, uh, atmosphere that's very important, but, uh, still always looking to, to jump on a plane wherever I can. Yeah. You got to get out yourself. And right, you know, right. it, it's funny because, you know, when a group of guys get together in college, usually it's like the dream is, all right, let's open a bar together. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a bar? And then, you know, if you're a traveler it kind of meshes into, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I had a hostel? I think most people who are listening, most people who have traveled, feel the exact same way you did. When you were traveling, you thought, you know, maybe you didn't know you were going to open a hostel, but you thought, oh, this is a cool atmosphere. And wouldn't it be neat if I could 
give this to someone else and, you know, and have my own place. And you take all the little parts that you've seen in hostels around the world, mesh them together to, to be your own quote unquote masterpiece. And I think it's really neat because you took that idea that 99% of people who traveled in the way we've traveled have and turned it into reality. What was the toughest obstacles to actually doing that? Because you saw the place then and then it went for sale. So you're like, all right, I got to do it. But I'm sure it wasn't just, hey, I got to do it. And then boom, here's HK Austin and everything's going well. Yeah, definitely. No, it's something that I think I get a lot of emails now from people that don't want to open hostels and I try to help everybody else as I can. So I guess if, if I had more practical advice of people looking to kind of do the hostel thing, I would say the first trip you should take is down to the city planning office just because hostels aren't a terribly established thing within, I guess, uh, any codes within at least throughout the U.S. There's not like a code in the U.S. It's like, this is what the regulations are for opening up a hostel. So you kind of run into a lot of headaches when it comes, gets time to get the permits and all that type of thing. So it's very exciting to think, you know, grand opening parties. I can't wait to have a grand opening party. We're going to have this type of wallpaper. We're going to have uh, these people attend. This is going to be uh, all the decor. And I got wrapped up in it myself. You know, I started like spending way too much time on logo creation and like the name and the, the this and the website. Uh, when in reality, you know, we ended up, it took us nine months to get the, all the permits that we needed. So it, it's a, it's kind of a bummer thing to say, but I would say the first trip, just kind of take a quick trip down to the city planning office. And I, if you are interested in be like, Hey, listen, I'm looking at this property. Um, I want to open a hostel. This is kind of what a hostel is. Uh, what, <laughs> yeah. You might have to explain it to someone, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, when you say that the most common response is, is that Eli Roth movie. They're like, Oh, a hostel. It's like, thanks Eli Roth. And he didn't do many people favors with that movie he put out about like cutting off people's toes or whatever. But, um, it, yeah, I would, I would explain kind of what you're going to do. And that was the first step for us was just going down and getting a full grasp of what we we're going to need as far as like architecture plans and all that type of thing. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, it's just really just, just kind of getting it going. I know a lot of times people can get stuck in the planning mode for a really long time, you know, different spreadsheets and this and that. But, uh, I think, just for us, at least, Austin, the, the main mentality was um, I would rather try this and fail or not try it at all. I know that's kind of a cliche thing, but that's really what drove us through, you know, the nine months of banging our head against the wall, dealing with the permitting and all that type of stuff. With you, was Austin, like you picked Austin just because you were already there? Or kind of, as you mentioned, when you came to Austin, you weren't sure you were going to open a hostel, but was there some intention between uh, be behind picking Austin specifically? Sure. There's a couple of things going on there. So I also have kind of a, a, my day job, so to speak, outside of the hostel is I have a small marketing company that deals with a lot of authors. And one of the authors that we worked with and I was partners with for a while lives here in Austin. And, you know, he was raving about Austin. Hey, come visit Austin. Come visit Austin. And uh, so I started digging into Austin a little bit more. And, you know, it, it's been the fastest growing city in the U.S. for the past five years. So obviously, there's a lot going on here. Um, looking at the hostel scene, you know, at the time there was only two hostels here and both of them seemed to be doing very well. So it just seems like, you know, just at the back of the envelope, hmm, fifth gross, fifth fastest or the fastest growing city in the country only has two hostels. You know, this should be something that might work out. And so that, that kind of like definitely was in the back of my head coming down here. I wasn't looking at properties or anything before I came, but once I was here and really fell in love with the city, uh, I, I, we kind of hit the ground running, so to speak. Yeah, sometimes it's best to not overthink things, right? Like if it oh, if totally. it feels good, if it looks good, you check it out a little bit, 
you know, you just got to go with it because as you mentioned, people can get stuck in the planning stage for anything. You know, well, what am I going to do? You know, I, is, it, is it perfect? Is this going to work out? And you're like, just go with your gut. You, if you know enough about it, you go with your gut and it works. And obviously with Austin, like you said, it didn't take much to figure out like, People like it here. It's good weather. People are traveling here because there's so much going on now. And there's only two other things that are basically competition at this point. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that was a big part is jumping into it and doing it. And yeah, it was a, it was kind of a struggle at the beginning. But at this point, you know, it's, it's a very rewarding thing that uh, was well worth any headache that we had to put in right off the bat, I would say. What what are the toughest things then with actually running the hostel? Because, you know, the planning and, and all the paperwork to get it going, obviously a difficult and something no one probably wants to do. But once the hostel's up and running, what have you found to be the, the toughest part or the things that you thought? And you did it in Brooklyn or, or in New York, so it's a little different. Maybe you had some experience. But what are those things that jump out that you're like, oh, I didn't think this was going to be an issue. But, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a couple of things. One is like maintaining that atmosphere because I think above and beyond all what's most important at running as far as running a hostel is that atmosphere that everybody remembers. People are going to forget, you know, what the color of your sheets were. They're going to forget whatever artwork you had on the wall, but they're never really going to forget like how they felt there. And that's, that's probably applicable to everything. Um, and so just creating the culture within the staff to put on the atmosphere that you want is really important because, you know, there can be a, a huge variety within hostels. That's a totally different discussion. But, you know, there's party hostels, there's uh, luxury hostels, there's hacker hostels, there's travel hostels, there's all sorts of different hostels. And so kind of like thinking like what type of hostel are we going to be and how are we going to maintain that atmosphere throughout the staff? Because um, eventually, you know, at first you, you can kind of have your hands on everything and you can be running everything. But eventually, you know, you start bringing on staff. And a lot of times in hostels, staff are volunteer based, meaning, you know, that somebody that's coming for two months to stay in Austin that wants to volunteer the hostel in exchange for, you know, free accommodation during that period. And, you know, their interest might not be, how can I have the most amazing hostel, you know, in the country? They're, they're kind of like, I just want to kind of hang out in Austin and party for a little bit. And so just, you know, uh, reconciling that and making sure that you have a good onboarding process and training process for volunteers and the staff and that type of thing and kind of maintaining the atmosphere within it, I think has been the most, the thing that we spent the most time on and has also been the most uh, rewarding. Because if you look at our reviews now on Hostel World, like everybody mentions the staff, which I, I know, you know, they don't mention me really ever. Um, it's always like, you know, our manager Alejandro is an amazing guy or Josh or Robert or anybody that we have around the hostel. Um, and so like having a team in place, I think that's been it's difficult to do. You know, it takes a little bit of trial and error to find those right pieces or right fits. But uh, that that was kind of uh, a fairly big struggle right off the bat. And you mentioned, you know, hostels falling into kind of different niches and, and things like that, fitting different molds of travelers. What would you say uh, HK Austin fits? Like where, where was your intention for fitting in? And has that been what has actually come about then in the last two years that you've been up and run or last year and a half that you've been up and running. Yeah. I would say, you know, looking at our, our reviews, the most common thing that people say is it's almost like staying at a friend's house over the weekend or something along those lines. Um, so we don't go for the party hostel. It's not like, Hey, you check in, I'm going to like pour a shot down your throat. That's not kind of the atmosphere that we're going for. It's not, uh, on the upper end of the luxury scale either. We have like, we spent a ton of money getting the best mattresses that we could. And that's been another like, best decision we ever could have made. You know, people always come with mattresses, but it's kind of like 
the staff almost feels like your friends immediately. It's a smaller hostel, you know, at this point we're only 16 beds, um, soon to be 20. So it's, it's not a giant operation. So in, in that size, you can almost feel like, you know, everybody, they're your friends they're kind of like your housemates and, you know, you and your housemates are just going out and having a good time. And so it's, uh, I think that was the, the vibe we went for just based upon size and we're in an old Victorian mansion. So it kind of fits the, 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 the vibe of the house as well. Um, and it's something that it's been pretty good so far. When you first started it, because this is always the, the fun part for me with dreaming, and I, I can specifically remember the time when I thought I'm going to open a hostel for, for the first, when I thought it for the first time, and since it's been, you know, a thousand times since then. But I, I was in Lausanne, Switzerland, and, you know, I, I didn't even know there was a hostel there because I was staying outside of town um, and working on I walked by, and there's just this really cool building right by the train station, you know, it said hostel. I was with a few of my friends. I'm like, I'm just going to walk in and like talk to the person at the front desk. Like, why? I was like, I don't, I don't know. This seems cool. Walked in, you know, I thought I want to, I want to open a hostel. Like after talking with them, after wandering through, and I had stayed at a few before, but it was one of my first experiences. And I thought this is really neat. What were some of the things like when you first started that you wanted to include in HK Austin? Because in my mind, that was always like, I'm going to grab this from this hostel I stayed in, this from this hostel. Were there things that you were like, all right, this is non-negotiable. We're having this, whether it's like a a room full of hammocks or whatever. Was there stuff that you said, this is happening because this is my hostel essentially right now? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to remember exactly which we had from different hostels. Whether, I mean, staying in them, obviously you pick up things from all of them. Uh, one of the things that I remember most was you know, going back to the beds, I'd stayed in hostels where, you know, they just spent, they like, anytime you open up a business, you're trying to cut corners. And so, you know, one of the corners that hostels try to cut is like in the mattresses because, you know, you're bringing a bunch of them and, you know, there's, it's an easy corner to cut when you're starting the hostel. But like, at the end of the day, people are like paying to sleep somewhere, right? And so cutting a corner with a mattress isn't an important thing. I remember staying in this hostel down in like Manaus and the Amazon in Brazil. And it was literally just like, I'm pretty sure it was just sand with like fabric on top of it or something like that. And I just remember that was a terrible time and I had a terrible experience. And so I remember staying at another hostel and they had very nice mattresses. And I remember talking about the mattresses. And so like one non-negotiable point was kind of that we were going to buy, you know, the best possible mattresses, you know, that bunk beds can have essentially, Um, which it was kind of like a pain point when you're starting off, you know, it's like, well, we could save, you know, a month, two months worth of operating expenses if we don't, if we choose these instead of these. But, uh, that that was a big point. Another point was kind of like, I mean, this isn't a this isn't a terribly unique idea, but some type of social programming where people can kind of, you know, meet other people. Uh, a very good friend of mine named Bobby Dyer. He owns a couple hostels out in San Diego called International Travelers House. And uh, you know, if I'm looking to somebody that does the social atmosphere, amazing. He just crushes it. You know, every single day there's amazing events where people can go on. Um, and so staying out there, that that's another kind of thing to work into the mix because anytime you can facilitate interactions within uh guests that's 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 a very important thing yeah i think the mattresses can't be overstated especially in the day like especially now with everything being online and reviews and you know if you see uh, my wife will love it man because it's always about the mattress there because she just you know i i can get by with something that's not that comfortable i mean i prefer a great mattress right but for her it's always like She's reading reviews and what is she looking for? It's a hotel or hostel, guest house, doesn't matter. It's like, what are the mattresses? And of course, in the first couple comments, someone will mention whether it's an awesome mattress or whether it's an awful mattress, right? I mean, it's like you said, you, in essence, you're paying to sleep eventually. So 
um, th- that's the thing. And I remember, I-, I mean, she loves it. We were in Astoria, um, Oregon once, and there was a hotel. I took a picture for it, and it just said, it was on the hu- huge side of this hotel. I don't even know the name of the hotel because I don't think they listed. It just said, best mattresses in the world. Come stay here. And you think, well, <laughs> like, I got to take them up on this offer, right? If we were staying the night. That's where I would have stayed because either they're right and it's going to be great or they're wrong and you can write about it, right? So Right. Oh, definitely. And in more practical terms, you know, speaking on the business side, the same thing. Well, a lot of our reviews are like the hardest thing to do is getting out of bed in the morning. And, you know, that, that creates more people with a booking it. So it more than makes up for any, you know, additional costs we had to put out in the beginning uh, by going down that route. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's it is. It's a great marketing thing, but ultimately it's great marketing because you're providing an awesome experience for someone, right? Um what are some of you, you mentioned a few like like the International Travelers House out in San Diego. What are some of the hostels if if you can remember around the world that you either have stayed in that stick in your memory because you know 150 deep, probably even more than that now. So there's um or that you take inspiration from. Are there any that you're like, all right, these are two, three, four, five that I just remember because it was either such a great experience or it looked cool or for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah, there's actually two categories of that too. So there's ones that I stayed in prior to having HK Austin that I really looked up to as like interesting. And there's ones that since opening the hostel I've stayed at that uh, I've become friends with the owners. Because as far as the hostel industry, it's not necessarily competition. Everybody within the hostel industry is extremely friendly because we're all kind of battling the same battle of like, growing the awareness of hostels within, you know, the world basically, because it's kind of like a rising tide floats all boats or whatever that phrase is. Um, right. so a lot I of can never owners, remember that phrase. I, I yeah, yes, one day so, we'll get it right. <laughs> right. Something along those lines. But anyways, long story short, the more hostels are doing well everywhere. You know, if somebody goes to Denver, for instance, and has an amazing experience at a place called Hostel Fish up there, which is another, there's a friend of mine that like, they do the boutique the boutique hostel game as well as anybody does. You know, you go in there, everything's amazingly nice, down to like custom made duvet covers, and just everything is so well designed and so put together. Um, so as far as like design wise, I would say Hostel Fish in Denver, Colorado, an amazing spot. Um, a little more pricey, but by far worth it um, for everything that they provide. Uh, International Travelers House, like I mentioned, out in San Diego, as far as like adventures go and, you know, seeing San Diego, he, you know, their, their daily free activities out there include things like, you know, going on a, a 20 foot sail ride around the Bay of San Diego or going on a hike in the national park or all different amazing things like that. So they're, they're fantastic for that. When I was traveling, the ones that stick out in my head are like, there's a place called Rock and Jays in, in Costa Rica. Have you ever stayed there? I've it's never kind of, stayed uh, there. No. Rock and Jays is just north of the Panamanian border, um, just north of Bocas del Toro in Panama, which is, you know, another one there that stands out is the one called uh, Mandu Tidu in there because, again, the social atmosphere. So any ones that I'm looking back on and remembering, particularly during my times traveling, like Rock and Jays, Mandu Tidu, uh, the Black Cat in Antigua, Guatemala is another one that stands out. They've all, they all just crushed their social experience, you know, and they made it, made it easy to meet people. Um, cause you know, that, that goes a variety of ways as you're looking back in your photo albums or things like that. It's like, Oh, I remember, you know, George from wherever. And, you know, at the same time that, that, that interaction was facilitated by the hostel. Um, and so whether you remember them, you know, explicitly or not, it just kind of, it's something in your mind for sure. Yeah, so you and you brought this point up, um, and I, I want to touch on this a little bit of of the hostel industry in the U.S. and the awareness of the hostel industry because 
same as as you get, and and I know there's thousands of articles written about, well, maybe not thousands, but articles written about the misconceptions of hostels, and and I've written them myself, and all this kind of stuff. Because when I traveled, you know, and we were over in Europe, like hostels were, it wasn't really uh, like people would say, "Oh, you're staying in a hostel?" Like, no, it's just very accepted. I mean, they're everywhere, and there and there's awesome hostels, and there's a reason for that. And you have older people staying in hostels, and and all that kind of stuff. And when you come back to the U.S. and you talk to people in the U.S., it's this it's this weird thing where like people don't even, as you mentioned, don't even know what a hostel is, or or think it's like only for scummy backpackers, or think of the movie. So, you know, what is it? about the host, the word hostel or the hostel industry in the US like what I don't want to say what's wrong with it because but like how can it change and why is it like that as opposed to when you go to Europe and hostels are just very accepted and everyone uses them I think it's I think it's a couple of things I think uh because obviously it's a, it's a it's a question that I grapple with all the time as you know as you go to a party you're like oh I own a hostel that can lead to a variety of reactions depending on who you're talking to again if somebody from Europe like oh it's fantastic if it's America it's like Oh, that's that's not, you know it's kind of a a totally different response. Um, I think the hostels just been around in Europe, you know, a lot longer. That's kind of I think where the idea originated. So it's kind of built into the society a little bit more. There's there's just generally more hostels there. Uh, they've been around longer there, um, and just kind of been more accepted by a wider generation of the population. Where in America, probably you know if you're 40 me i don't want to like a stereotype based upon age but you know i'm saying like it's a newer thing in america hostels have only been growing as far as the numbers um here and i think another thing that comes down to is just americans traveling less you know again not to stereotype but i think that domestic travel might be you know like lower than across europe within europeans um, so the, the awareness is, is, is again down in then geography. I think a lot that comes back to geography. You know, there's not a great train system that you can kind of take across the U.S. and travel very easily. And so, you know, if that was, if that was the case, then, you know, when people might be traveling more domestically, staying a lot of more different cities, uh, it's also just a, a significantly larger expanse space to cover, right? So, you know, uh, going from city to city, if you're looking for different accommodation types, hostels would be um, another one that hopefully is growing in the near future just because it is growing too at the same time. I, I think that, you know, battling that misconception, one of the things that can be done is just more good hostels opening up. So I, I'm the biggest fan of anybody that writes to me and is like, hey, I want to open a hostel. I'll jump on the phone and spend as long as they would like, uh, hopefully helping them out as much as I can. Because like I said, if if somebody goes to a city and they at least know hostels exist, then if that's their kind of like entry point to knowing the term and all that type of stuff, that benefits them when they come to Austin, uh, benefits them kind of when they go to all the different cities that, that have hostels across the U.S. Yeah, I didn't even, I, I never really even thought about the age thing and the fact that hostels haven't existed or, or not many hostels have existed in the U.S. for a long term, uh, for a long time, because when you, you know, you talk to Europeans who are taking their gap year and, you know, their parents had done it 25 years, 30 years ago, and their parents probably told it, like, regaled them with stories of staying in hostels. So, of course, they're going to stay in hostels. And then their parents, who love staying in hostels when they're younger, are still staying in hostels because they've done it before. So that's that's a really good point that I guess I kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And I, th- I think as well as the fact that the 
backpacking in the U.S. is done much different than backpacking in Europe, where you say, hey, I'm going to, I found these friends in a hostel, I'm going to hop on a train because they're telling me to go down to Lisbon, and uh, we're just going to get on a train, grab a ticket, and we're going to go find this hostel in Lisbon, whereas in the U.S., you know, you kind of have to plan more, or you're taking Greyhounds, or you're flying, or you're driving yourself, or in a camper van, or whatever, different type of traveling that doesn't lend itself as readily to hostels. Totally. And, and as like the different types of hostels that we were talking about earlier grow, the different types of travelers that will stay in hostels will also grow. You know, so there's, you know, a billion different terms you can use, but like flash packers, right? So let's say somebody that has more spending, expendable income that wants to go into a city for a couple of days and go back out. You know, if, if the boutique hostel uh, industry kind of blooms as it has been with, you know, there's this company called Freehand uh, that's made by this guy named Ron Burnkle, this billionaire, and they have a location in Miami. Uh, Chicago and LA and they're like, you know, luxury boutique style hostels. And if somebody's, you know, and uh, a little bit older than the typical backpacker, but they still want to have that experience, if they can start staying in stuff like that, it at least opens them up to the idea of shared accommodation, you know, bunk beds, the whole hostel vibe, while in a little bit of different sense, it caters a little bit more to them. And so as the the offerings of hostels grow, which I think is going to be an important thing, hopefully the clientele across demographics also grow. And so that'll just help help everybody out. Currently, when you think about it, if you say, hey, I'm going to go stay at a hotel, you could, uh, the Four Seasons and the Red Roof Inn can mean vastly different things. Right, right. And so like, even like the search engines, even going more practical than that, search engines have things set up to sort based upon what type of hotel you want to stay in. But at the moment, like, you know, hostels are all kind of, all kind of lumped into one thing. And if you take a gamble and say you're, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this hostel thing, and you kind of wanted something more along the lines of a boutique hostel, and you end up at a, like a party hostel that's just like raging for 24 hours straight, you might not go back to a hostel. So I think that as an industry, it'll be important to start segmenting them a little bit, um, and that, that I think that's something that's exciting. That I think it'll happen naturally as the the number of hostels grow here in the U.S. Yeah, segmenting them out is is a big thing because, you know, obviously you can read the reviews, but this exact thing happened to me in Madrid. You know, it was me and my wife and my sister, and it was the last day of our trip, and we just wanted somewhere to put our head, and we're like, okay, you know, and this got good reviews. I didn't read them, though, really. You know, I just skimmed through, and and we're like, all right, it's right on Plaza del Sol. This is great. Awesome. Can't find it when we get there. It's like behind this like graffiti door. The only way we can find it is because people are walking out, and we've stayed in, you know, like you the range of hostels and hotels, you know, from thousand dollar night hotels to like two dollar night um, hostels in Thailand. So it's not that anything scares us or we're worried, but we couldn't find it. People walk out, we go up, and and I just hear this thumping, 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 thumping from the fifth floor. I just go up, 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 up. We get there. I'm ringing this bell, and um, you know, no one's opening. And all of a sudden, like the door pops open. Literally, like it's like a cartoon. Three people spill into the hallway. It's packed in the lobby of like 70 people everyone's drinking going crazy they're getting ready for the to go out on the um on the pub crawl and here we are it's like 11 p.m we just rolled into town and i'm thinking the last thing i want to do is go on a pub crawl and everyone's i'll get a shot you know pouring shots taking right. as you open up and i was like yep. you know had i known this was a party hostel i wouldn't have stayed here tonight i might have stayed here some other time who knows but i think you're right it's it, if that was my first experience or or you know even my second or third i might have said oh well i'm just gonna stay at a hotel because i know i'm gonna get a front desk clerk and you know this and that um and i think that's important it's an important delineation and they definitely do it with hotels so having it done with hostels just kind of makes sense 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, had had you not been as open minded as you were, then you might have not stayed at hostels ever again. You know, which which wouldn't really, uh, you know, wouldn't be a benefit for you or hostel industry. You know, you wouldn't get that the amazing experiences you've had across different types of hostels um, at the same time. So that yeah, that's something that I think about. Uh, it might be a little bit inside baseball, but it's something that hopefully hopefully happens here soon. Right. What is your ultimate goal? Because you talked about you know changing the hostel industry and that that's happening. But is it to open multiple hostels? You know, to to literally you say I want to be kind of the forward face to flipping how U.S. travelers and U.S. hostels are looked at, or is it simply like all right, we're gonna have the one in Austin, we're gonna get the one in San Antonio, we're good with just kind of staying here and making these as as great as possible. Sure. So I, I don't think that I'm in any position to be like the, the chaperone of changing the, the the industry of the of the travel industry. But I mean, at the same time, I do feel it's a responsibility a little bit where I, I write as many articles as I can just about the hostel industry for any publication that I can. You know, I wrote once like Forbes or Business Insider or all these different ones just to expose more people to the concept of hostels. And it's both like selfish. Yeah, sure. Because I, I own hostels. Obviously, it helps me. But it's just hostels. It's hostel is something that I got into purely out of kind of passion and love for the industry. And so I'd love to see more people be able to stay at them, be exposed to the, you know, uh, the concept and that type of thing. But as far as our specific goals, yeah, it changes day to day too. You know, one day when you, you know, you go to the hospital and you have a great day, you're like, man, it'd be great to have a bunch of these around, you know? And so you start making plans like that. And then the next, you know, you just, things happen and it's a little bit busier over there. And maybe like, ah, maybe we'll put a pause on that right now. But I don't know, we're, we're kind of taking it day to day. I think it would be very interesting Texas, where we are, particularly doesn't have a great uh, hostel network currently. So I think our, our plan is kind of, you know, this one in Austin is going very well. It's, it's, it's got amazing reviews. It seems to be, people seem to be enjoying it. And there's not really a hostel in San Antonio yet, which it, it goes both ways. We were talking about earlier uh, people not knowing about the hostel industry, but then it goes the other way where people only want to stay in hostels. So a lot of times, I can't tell you how many times. We'll have, let's say, uh, a few Australian guests coming to stay with us in Austin. They're like, hey, where should I go next? Because it's an open travel plan. You know, they flew into New York and they're going to fly out of L.A. four months later. And they're like, what's, what's going on in San Antonio? There's no hostels down there. And so they won't go to San Antonio because there's not a hostel there, right? And so I think that, you know, not to be like, that's that big a deal. But, you know, putting a hostel down there might expose more people to that city. Um, and we might be able to, like, you know, allow more people to enjoy down there. So I think that our initial plan is just kind of at least getting one set up in a couple of cities, you know, the big cities that are surrounding us, whether that's San Antonio, Dallas, and uh, Houston, just so people are more comfortable with the different cities and uh, might take some time out of their schedule to check them out. And will all of those, I, I don't know if you've gotten this far, but ha, are, will all of those be branded HK? And, and what so, does... So, so yeah, that's a good, not to cut you off, but that's a good question. It's actually like a little bit of a sore point. That's why, that's probably why I cut you off because I've heard the question. Um, they won't be called HK Austin. That, I guess that is, uh, that is big news. We are going to completely change the name once our second location opens. HK Austin was an interesting one. It, it, the story behind that, which I don't think a lot of people know or anybody knows except outside of me and Matt, um, is... When I was in New York, the original hostel in New York didn't really have a name. It was just, we were, I don't know what we were calling it. We weren't really calling anything in, but I would lead a lot of the guests out on bar crawls every night. So I would go to these different, ho- the different bars and the bars would be like, oh, Brent's here with the hostel kids, you know? And so the name in New York ended up being Hostel Kids. That was the name of the hostel. Um, and then when we, moved to, when we moved to Austin, obviously it was a natural extension to be like, oh yeah, let's use the name Hostel Kids. You know, we've been using it. It's a good name, um, this and that. And then this might just be like a business owner thing, but I said the name more and more in like our paperwork or filing and this and that. 
And then I just kind of grew to hate the name. It was just something that I couldn't even like utter. I was like, I am not, I'm not saying the term hostile kids ever again. And so this and is so, the first time you said it in like a year, right? You've gone yeah, through yeah, extensive therapy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like definitely, you know, you're, you're putting me through a little bit of trauma right now, but I'll, I'll, I'll put up with it, I guess. Um, I, I, so, you know, we ended up changing the name to HK Austin, which in retrospect, it, it's just not a good name. It's to be, to be honest with you, because people are like, Hong Kong, or there's like Hostling International, and they're HI, so it's like, what's HK, and this and that, and then if somebody does ask, I have to like, relive the trauma of one, once upon a time naming them the Hostel Kids, um, and so that, <laughs> that is certainly something that we, we we're thinking about, and it, you know, if the opportunity does arise where we have other locations, we'll, we'll, we'll change the name for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, I, for a while, I always wondered, like, what is HK, and I knew Matt's last name was with a K, but yours wasn't with an H, so I thought... I'm not sure that's it. So, all right, now we know the story. Hopefully, you'll never have to relive it on a podcast again. Uh, you, whenever anyone asks, you can be like, "Go listen to this podcast," right? And then you don't have to say it. Um, hopefully, a name you like better the the book. We're going to chat about this just for a few minutes, and then we'll get back to your uh, travel mishap for you. But um, the the book, putting my foot down. You know, you've worked with big time authors. You you have the digital um or the media company, uh, marketing company that does stuff with Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss. You know, all these great authors. And then you wrote a book, uh, wrote in air quotes, putting my foot down. Can you tell people a little bit about that? Because here you are, uh, Amazon bestseller for all that's worth, you know, all the accolades, praise that heaped upon you. What was the point of putting my foot down and and how did it come about? Sure. So it it was another just uh, way to illustrate what I saw was a problem within an industry. And so within the publishing industry recently, you know, I started seeing everybody was a best-selling author overnight, it seemed. You know, everybody's bio had on LinkedIn, you know, best-selling author this, best-selling author that. And working with authors that, you know, let's use Robert Greene for an example as an author we work with. Robert will spend 10 years on a book, put a lot of time and effort into it, and then, you know, hopefully it hits the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, I think like culturally when you hear best-selling author, there's a certain amount of prestige with it because it's like, well, this book got chose by a publisher. Um, it sold well enough to beat out all the other books being sold around the country and the New York Times included it in this list um, that indicates that this book was well written and well received. You know, that's kind of the the status of the term bestseller. But uh, what it ha- what ha- what's happened recently is as Amazon has grown in popularity is Amazon has a self-publishing arm, which I, I think is amazing, you know, and so anybody can publish whatever they would like right onto Amazon. Um, and within the categories of Amazon, which there's over well over a thousand different categories, if you top out one of those categories for an hour, Amazon puts a best-selling uh, banner next to your, the title of your name. So the one, one hour is all it takes. Yeah. To be, okay. And it, up, and it updates every hour on Amazon. And so instead of having to like sell a ton of books over the course of a week across the whole entire country, you have to sell a bunch of books within one specific hour, and then you're a best-selling author. And so people started gaming this system. You know, there was companies that would be set up and like. Hey, you pay us six thousand dollars, and we'll make your book a best-selling book. And you know that sounds great, but at the end of the day, all they were doing was buying a bunch of copies within that one-hour window to bump the book up into the best-selling category. And these people that thought they were paying for legitimate service were really just paying for like laundering books. Um, is really what they were doing. So I saw clients of ours, or not clients of ours, but like potential clients of ours, you know, falling for this, losing money to these types of like scammy marketing companies that were doing that. And then at the same time, there's a lot of like you know, life coaches that not, not to like anything against life coaches, but it's like a lot of people that were like using it as branding to like book speaking gigs and like best selling author and this and that. 
Um, so to illustrate this, I, I wanted to make it as clear as possible that it had nothing to do with the content of the book. So I, I took a photo of my foot, uh, my left foot to, to, to be specific, and I uploaded it through Amazon's uh, CreateSpace, which is their self-publishing arm, as a book on Amazon with the title uh, Putting My Foot Down. And it was this kind of, you know, the the content of the book, I wanted to make it so clear that th this wasn't a best-selling book because of the content. It was literally just a, a photo of my foot. Um, Amazon approved it. It was put on the platform. Uh, Amazon allows you to choose your own pricing and your own categories to put it in, and they don't really check that either. So I put it in free, I put it in free masonry studies just because I thought it was funny, and there probably wouldn't be that many books selling over the course of an hour in Freemasonry studies. And so I, I priced it at 99 cents as well, and I was screenshotting this all along the way, what I was doing, because I kind of knew where we were headed with it. And then after the book was live, I called up two of my friends, and I was like, hey, dude, like, buy this book right now. It's 99 cents. I'll, like, I'll give you a buck next time I see you or something. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, I'll pay for half your beer. Right. Exactly, exactly. And so my two friends did. I bought a copy myself. And then an hour later, after the three sales, it was number one in its categories. It was the number one bestseller, you know, a photo of my foot and $3 and like five minutes to upload on Amazon created like me into a best-selling author. So to like illustrate it, I, I like changed my LinkedIn bio, like Brenner, you know, number one best-selling author. And I did all the things that people, you know, might do if in, in that circumstance and wrote, uh, wrote a wrote a blog post about it for the New York Observer. And that, that, that post did pretty well. It, it made its way through the, the publishing industry and got, it ended up being tweeted and written about by like everything from the New York Times down to like the Daily Dot and Business Insider. And, uh, even like strangely like Australian, their, mor their biggest morning show, Sunrise on 7, did a segment about it. So it was, it was interesting, but a couple of days later I get an email from Amazon saying, you know, your book has been taken down. This isn't a book. Sorry. Uh, and Sorry, this is one page. It's actually just a photo, right? <laughs> Sorry, your foot's not even that good looking. Uh, you have to take this down. This is no longer a book. <laughs> so to, and then I got a call. Um, there's a company called Thought Catalog based out of New York. And they're kind of like a millennial uh, platform media entity. And so the founder of that called and was like, hey, uh, what do you think about making this into a real book? And I was like, well, you know, that brings a bigger question. What, you know, what is a real book, right? Uh, you know, if it's not a photo of my foot, then like how many words constitute a book? Well, you're already a bestseller. So why even bother? Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I've already gotten the, I've already gotten the trophy. What do I need to do this for? Um, and so, but we ended up doing it. We, we, we printed out all the press it got into these big pieces of paper and I took photos on top of my foot on top of all the different press it got. Um, and then it got published again. It's like 30 photos of my foot now. There's far too many photos of my foot on the internet, which I'm not terribly comfortable with, but you know, I guess that's what I signed up for. Um, and so we republished the book, went back on Amazon, got some more press. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of the story behind the, the, the best-selling tag, I suppose. Yeah, and, I, and the, the reason I wanted you to tell is, A, I think it's super unique, but, but B, it is. It's one of these things that you have to be careful what you're... Uh, not who you're listening to and what you're looking at, but there's always there's always going to be a a bigger story behind it, and and I think the best selling tag is just such a crock now, and you prove that right. So I mean, you know, I just and it's, this isn't just to like single out Amazon either. Amazon's the easiest place to do it. So it's people that like if you want to cheat the system, Amazon's the cheapest and quickest to get the best selling tag. But people buy their way on the New York Times list. You can launder books. There's a company called Results Source, and their whole job is to buy books for business speakers that want to be 
New York Times bestselling authors. And so the price tag changes. It might cost you $100,000 instead of you know $3, but you can buy your way onto pretty much any bestseller list you can think of. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is crazy. And it's easy to do with Amazon, like I said, harder to do with other things. But um, just because the tags there doesn't mean it's good. Just because the tags there does, obviously doesn't mean someone bought their way on and it's bad. You know, make the decision for yourself, which is essentially even what we're kind of talking about with hostels. Like the more options you have, the better it is. Not that you always have to stay at a hostel. I certainly don't. I, I, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. Maybe, maybe you always stay at hostels, right? But, um, but it's, it's the more options you have and the more informed you are, the better it is because whenever you have options, you can decide what's best for you, which is, which is a good thing. Totally. So, all right, last question then. Travel mishap. You've traveled quite a bit. I, uh, if you want to, it can be a mishap that you've had in a hostel. It doesn't have to be. What has happened? Like, is there a story that happened to you where you just think, all right, like, I'm glad this happened in hindsight because funny story out of it. But when it was happening, maybe not the best of experiences. There's, there, like you said earlier, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I think probably the, the the one that stands out the most is, it, it's not a terribly crazy crazy moment, but I was trying to get, I was in Nicaragua trying to go to Isla Ometepe, that, you know, like island in the middle of the lake that's kind of in the center of Nicaragua. And I arrived after dark because I missed a bus, you know, typical. I was, I was backpacking solo at this time. And I, I arrived after dark. The, the last ferry had left. The town that I ended up in didn't really have any hotels or hostels or, you know, bed and breakfasts or anything along those lines. Um, I didn't speak Spanish terribly good at the time. So I ended up going into the, the, the closest restaurant and I was hanging out there, having a drink, um, communicating mostly with like, you know, uh, body language to, to the owner of this restaurant, explaining my situation. And he allowed me to sleep in the restaurant that night since there's no, uh, hotels on, which was very nice of him. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a big, uh, confidence builder that I was able to do such a thing. And so the next ferry was at 6am. So I was going to sleep in the, sleep in the restaurant and then, you know, catch the ferry the next day. And so I pushed two of the like booths together and slept in the, into the restaurant. And then in the morning I, I got up to, to leave and catch this ferry. And I realized that the only way to lock this restaurant is to lock it from the outside. So I was then like locked in this restaurant, you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't get the ferry cause I couldn't get out of the restaurant. So I was banging against the door. You know, he didn't come back till 9am or something time after that. And it, it was hard to be upset with him, you know, because he allowed me to in his restaurant and so i was very grateful but again it was kind of a funny mishap you know it wasn't a terror it wasn't a game-changing thing along any line but it was a confidence booster and it's something that you know i think travel in general is something that has improved my confidence probably more than anything particularly solo backpacking just you know you run into situations like that and you know you have to find a solution and then you find and you realize that you know, you're, you're a competent human being and you can figure out a solution and that people are generally nice throughout the world. And it's, it, it inspires a lot of confidence. Yeah. Not many people can claim to have been locked in a restaurant. I guess you wouldn't have starved. So that's a good thing. Right. <laughs> that, is a, that is an interesting thought. I agree. So Brent, what's in the pipeline next for you, whether, whether it be personally or whether it be, um, well, we know HK Austin's getting a name change, um, and, and maybe opening one in San Antonio. What can people expect? Is, is there a date on the San Antonio one or is it just in the process? It's, it's, it's in the process. Like, uh, I wish that, you know, buying properties was as easy as like buying an apple in the store where it's like a set price you go in and there's no emotions involved, but uh, you know, when you're everybody, you're buying property, it's kind of a negotiation. And we actually had a property that was under contract fall through about two weeks ago. So I, I'd hate to give any timeline, but we're, we're actively down there trying to make that happen. 
at the moment. So hopefully another hostel happens here within the next couple months, which would be very exciting. Um, and you know, if anybody wants to come, just email me, I'll give you a free night. Everybody can stay and hang out and enjoy Austin or San Antonio. Um, and outside of that, yeah, we're, uh, at, at Brash Check, the marketing company, we're still working on a lot of cool books. My business partner, Ryan Holiday, he has a book coming out in, uh, just over a month. And so that, that, that's kind of the main focus right now on that front. Um, so yeah, a lot of books and hostels. That's what's on the horizon. Hopefully books and hostels. Books and hostels. Awesome. Well, Brent, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, taking that dream that most travelers have of opening a hostel, actually doing it and actually doing it very, very well. Can't wait to swing down to Austin soon. Uh, check it out in person and just remind people one more time how they like, what's the best way for you if they're coming through Austin, either A, get a hold of you, but B, like, where should they book? Should they book directly from the website? What is most beneficial for you and, and the hostel? Yeah, uh, just as far as any hostel goes, if you just book directly through their website, that's going to be the best for the hostel. It gives the easiest changes to reservations. If you need to make a change, it's a lot easier. And also the the hostel itself ends up keeping more of the reservation cost if you book direct. So I would always encourage, no matter where you're staying, to book directly through the hostel's website. Ours is just hkaustin.com. And, uh, you know, my email is brent at hkaustin.com. And, you know, anybody... If you're thinking about starting a hostel, I would love to spend lots of time with you and hopefully give some advice that might uh, help more of these be around the U.S. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brent. Guys, if you're listening, don't forget, we will um, we will put everything up in the show notes. You can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S. You can find all 250 plus shows, all the show notes for them right there. Also, if you're looking for a good travel backpack, don't forget our sponsor, Tortuga Backpacks. Check that out, tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. And Brent, honestly, thanks again. Thanks for uh, being so willing to hop on with anyone who is talking about building a hostel or opening a hostel, because that's really invaluable stuff for anyone who has this idea listening or, or maybe didn't before, but thought, hey, this is pretty cool because having a quote unquote mentor, or even just someone to, to chat with, that's really awesome. So appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, just feel free to reach out. Uh, I'd love to spend some time with it. It's a very rewarding thing. I very much hope you uh, have a city in mind to open one because I'd love to chat. Yeah, and everyone, if you're heading down to uh, Austin, (laughs) Austin, if you're heading down to Austin, check out HK Austin. Um, Check that out. I will be heading down, Brent, at some point because we got to go get tacos together. Uh, Tacos and beers, man. I like it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks for the continued support. As always, it keeps us as the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris soon.